0: This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised.
1: I'm Ashley. And I'm Lacey, and this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Texas discussing a case that was later turned into a horror movie. Then we'll talk about
0: the worst home invasion case in Texas history. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Lone Star State.
1: They say don't mess with Texas, and I think they mean it. Did you know that the state of Texas carries out more executions than any other state in the U.S.? That's probably no surprise, as it's basically known as ground zero for capital punishment. Texas has executed 583 people since 1982. Of these, 279 occurred during the administration of Texas Governor Rick Perry, which is more than any other governor in U.S. history. Of those executed, we can't say for certain how many were actually innocent, Courts don't generally entertain claims of innocence when the defendant is dead. In the last 30 plus years, exoneration cases have exposed the shortcomings of the American legal system. Since 1973, 192 individuals who spent time on death row have been exonerated, according to the Death Penalty Information Center. This includes 16 people convicted and sentenced to death in Texas. I'll leave you with an old criminal law principle that was proposed by William Blackstone, a professor of English law from centuries ago. He created what's known as Blackstone's Ratio with his famous quote, It is better that ten guilty persons escape than that one innocent suffer. So this case was suggested to me by you. (laughs) I'm excited to hear it. I've never heard of it before and it's awful. It's really sad. So you watched the horror movie that this was based off of. I did. And you have not seen it, right? No, not the horror movie. And I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end because it is on Netflix, uh-huh. correct? I think so. I've mm-hmm. seen the cover of it. It's, it's really good. I believe it. So this case began on Halloween night in 1981 in a convent of all places. 76-year-old Tadea Benz was originally from Switzerland but ended up at the St. Francis Convent in Amarillo, Texas. She rarely ever missed chapel, so another nun, Sister Angela Martinez, went in to check on her. Her door was shut, which was unusual because Sister Tadea was hard of hearing and always kept the door slightly open so she would hear the morning buzzer. She found Sister Tadea's lifeless body, nude on the floor, with her arms outstretched by her sides. Sister Angela was shocked. She called in the other nuns, and they thought she just died of natural causes. They thought she was nude because maybe she was changing. Mm -hmm. And they thought maybe she fell because there were spots of blood on the floor. So they wrapped her body up in a sheet. They didn't think any type of crime had been committed, so... And they want to protect her modesty. Exactly, exactly. Later that same day, they found a broken window, and they realized a break-in might have occurred. So they called the police. Turns out Sister Tadea had been raped, beaten, and strangled. Which I cannot deal with the elderly being, ugh, mm -mm, so awful. While searching the convent, police found the knife used by the killer outside. So, a similar rape and murder had happened recently in Amarillo. So, at first, they thought this has got to be the same killer. On July 9th, 1981, 77-year-old Narnie Cox Bryson was attacked in her own home. Similar thing. Raped, beaten, killed. That's not super common to happen that close together in the same town. And to prey on... Oh, it's awful. An elderly yeah. woman
0: like that, you know you can overpower them. Mm-hmm. You're not – you know what I mean? It's not like they're fighting back and, right. and it's going like, to overpower you. You're a grown get man.
1: So, days after her murder, news reports showed that officials were looking for a Cuban refugee, Leoncio Perez-Reda. He was linked to DNA in Narni's case, and initially – The local DA said the crimes were too similar to not have been committed by the same man. So they did have DNA linking him to Narni, we know that. And some witnesses had reported seeing someone with dark skin and black curly hair near the nunnery. And black curly hair had been found at the scene, so it was a logical guess this looked like Leoncio. So this is super infuriating. A pathologist hired by the prosecution recovered semen. From Sister Tadea's body. But at the time, he couldn't test it. So he discarded it. Because according to him, no one instructed him to keep it.
0: I feel like that's forensics 101. I just... Keep everything.
1: I know it's 1981, but
0: keep it. Keep it.
1: They hired him. They didn't have
0: the technology. But how many cases do we see that... Or from like the 70s, even further back, that they keep the semen or DNA from fingernails. And 20 years later, they're able to
1: test it. Exactly. (sighs) So crucial evidence is gone forever. And this alone could have solved this entire thing. But it's gone forever, never coming back. So you're going to love this. A self-described clairvoyant known as Bubbles... Bubbles? Yeah. Told the Amarillo Daily News that she had a vision in which the killer was a teenage male who was around 5'11 and wore an Afro-type wig during the attack. She said he had dirty hardwood floors and lived on the same street as the nunnery. Very specific. So this does not match up with Leoncio. The police were under a huge amount of public pressure to solve the case, And they didn't have any solid leads, so they followed the tip from Bubbles. I mean, (sighs) they've been right. Oh boy. So, during the investigation, Sergeant Walter Yerger linked a teenager by the name of Johnny Frank Garrett to the fingerprints in Sister Tadea's bedroom. So, 17-year-old Johnny was known by the local PD, and Sergeant Yerger had already dealt with him in a burglary case. He was a troublesome teen. He was a white guy, straight brown hair, lived across the street from the convent with his mother. So they're like, okay, this kid is who Bubbles was... Right. Sorry, I can't laugh without saying Bubbles. This is who Bubbles was talking about. On November 9th, 1981, Johnny Frank Garrett was arrested and charged with the murder of sister Tadea Benz from the fingerprints matching.
0: Where were the fingerprints
1: found? In a few places, I believe, headboard, drawers, they weren't wiped down at all. So anything right. he touched, basically.
0: I just didn't know if they were like on the windowsill or, oh, yeah, you know.
1: Yeah, I don't believe on the window seal. According to police, Johnny allegedly gave an oral statement that he broke into Sister Tadea's room and noticed a nun was in bed. And she acted like she was going to scream so he covered her mouth so she wouldn't make any noise. Then he proceeded to choke her until she passed out. He said allegedly after this he had sex with her and left the convent the way he went in, out a broken window on the bottom floor. The police wrote this down, but Johnny, at first, refused to sign it. Then after consulting counsel, he signed it. So I'm using the term allegedly a lot, Because according to Johnny, he denies that he made any of those statements. He said that the police would write things down that he didn't say. Mm -hmm. He said he was coerced. Mm -hmm. This whole thing was coerced. Mm -hmm. And he said he refused to sign it. So, it's kind of a toss-up. Who really knows what happened? It wasn't recorded. Right. Very circumstantial. No video. Right. The trial was held throughout August and September of 1982. Johnny testified in his own defense and denied raping or murdering Sister Tadea. But he said he did break into the convent two days before the murder, looking for stuff to steal. He said that he entered the convent through the front door shortly after noon and proceeded into the medication room, then the cafeteria where he picked up the kitchen knife. Then he testified that he went into several of the bedrooms. He said in one bedroom, he bent the knife while he was prying open a locked drawer. He said that his fingerprints on the headboard of Sister Today's bed were there because he grabbed it so he could lean over and reach across on the wall. He said that he heard a noise and then he left. He said that he went to his mother's house, which was right across the street, around 10.20 p.m. on October 30th and didn't leave until the very next morning. So he's claiming Mm -hmm. he was at his mother's house throughout Mm -hmm. the murder that Mm -hmm. he broke in two days before. Sister Bernice Nogler was called to testify and said the front door of the convent is typically locked and no one could enter the cafeteria around noon without someone seeing them. She also said that there were no locked chests in the convent and nothing had been stolen. Another witness who lived near Johnny's mom testified that they saw Johnny prowling around an elderly woman's home in the neighborhood on the same night as the murder. The prosecution had a really easy time placing the blame on Johnny because he was poor, he had a low IQ, criminal past, and lived across the street from the convent. I mean, and his fingerprints match up. And he's saying he was there, so it's not
0: good. It just sucks
1: when you're like, and I'm not,
0: I don't know, Obviously, I wasn't there. But it just sucks when you're in a situation or like a house. It'd be Mm -hmm. like, if you asked me to come feed your cat while you're out of town, Mm -hmm. and I do, and I leave, and then your cat ends up dead, you're going to be like, well, well, I would hope, first of all, you'd be like, she could never do that. (laughs) But but you know what I mean? I'm the last person here. I brought you know, I'm I'm in, it's convenient convenient to blame. blame. It just, I I don't know. I don't know. Go ahead. Sorry.
1: Yeah. And at this point when I was researching, I was like, this guy is guilty. Mm -hmm. Why is this an interesting case? I'm, I mean, you know, that's just what I was thinking. I'm like, this guy did it. So he was also sexually abused as a child and this led him down the path of drugs and crime. They also discussed the evidence, such as prints found on the knife handle and headboard matching Johnny's. And pubic hairs that were recovered from the scene were determined to have the same individual characteristics as Johnny's.
0: They're all short and curly.
1: They are. I, I've never seen a pube that I thought looked different, but I don't know what, how they tested this in 81. I'm not guessing it's how they do it today. Right. If they couldn't
0: test semen... That's my yeah, point. I'm they, like, were they just looking at it? And they're like, well, you know, get, reach in your pants and give me a handful and let's like look. S- individual characteristics.
1: I don't, yeah. Anyway, Johnny also didn't have a good defense attorney and he even told the family he didn't have much a chance at winning the case. So didn't even really try and didn't sound very helpful since he allegedly convinced him to sign the statement. Johnny Frank Garrett was ultimately convicted and sentenced to death. After the sentencing, Pope John Paul and the other nuns at the convent appealed for clemency, which says a lot. I mean, yeah. I know that's, yeah. I mean, it's a pope and nuns, that's the right thing to do, but still, that's wild. A hearing was held at the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles, and they voted unanimously that the execution of Johnny Frank Garrett was allowed to proceed. On February eleventh, nineteen 1992, at age 28, Johnny Frank Garrett was executed by lethal injection. His last meal was ice cream, but his last words remain in dispute. Johnny was quoted as saying, I'd like to thank my family for loving me and taking care of me. The rest of the world can kiss my ass. After Johnny's execution, speculation continued as to his potential innocence and the humanity of his execution in general. This is the part where I'm like, why? This seems open and shut. And this next part is graphic, so skip ahead if you want to. It's about his past. He didn't have a good childhood, if that gives you any hint. So Johnny's family introduced him to drugs and alcohol when he was 10 years old.
0: No A baby, that's A baby my
1: kid's age <sighs> he was even exposed to stub to substance abuse involving paint thinner uh-uh,
0: which is brain
1: damaging, like yeah, you can't hug that's paint one thinner. of their yeah, you- and amphetamines
0: Mm-mm.
1: Johnny was raped and regularly beaten by his stepfather, Good God, then his stepfather hired him out to another man for sex. And from the age of 14, he was forced to perform bizarre, it didn't elaborate, sexual acts and participate in pornographic films. Once his father beat him and put him on top of a burning stove, which resulted in severe scarring. This
0: breaks my heart.
1: And you hear about all this and you're like, how did he have a chance to be a normal person? Right. 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 The cycle of abuse makes me so sick. Ugh. So, information on Johnny's abusive upbringing and mental health problems was not made available to the jury. According to three mental health experts who examined him between 1982 and 1986, said Johnny was extremely mentally impaired, chronically psychotic, and brain damaged as the result of several severe head injuries, You sustained as a child. And I'm sure the paint thinner had a lot to do with that. I never
0: understood the point or why you would want to get your child hooked on drugs. Because here's the thing. I know. Most of these cases that we read about, like, clearly they're in a very low income Mm -hmm. situation. You're stealing for money because you're poor. Probably to buy drugs. So why would you not want more drugs for yourself unless yeah. you're doing all these things and letting him get high or drunk or yeah. whatever so you can do what you want that's to to yeah. him, which In makes me want to fucking throw In this case, I think that's what up. it was.
1: Ugh. It's like one of the worst things I've heard. Starting at age 10 and – That's my son's age. I'm like, a 10-year-old huffing paint thinner? Mm -mm. I mean, of course he's mentally impaired. He suffered from paranoid delusions, including a belief that the lethal injection would not kill him. One of the experts described Johnny's case as, quote, One of the most violent histories of abuse and neglect I have encountered in over 28 years of practice.
0: I don't know how these people do it. I'm glad that they have advocates and people oh. that are put into these positions. I don't know. I, I don't know how I they read either. this stuff day after day, see these kids, mm-hmm. see the results of this as they yeah. grow up and turn into situations like this. And it's like they they never had a chance. Look at this. They look at of from Of course
1: the, he's in a let's say maybe he's innocent. Of the rape and murder. We don't know for sure. But maybe he's innocent. Of course he's into crime. I mean what? Literally. I don't know. That's all I'm he like. He's been addicted to drugs since he's been 10 years old. He's only 17. And he's been repeatedly raped. Oh my and God. And made. Offered.
0: Oh my. Movies. Just and he probably. Again we're just speculating. We're not mental health people. But it's like. How can you comprehend. And go out there into the world knowing right from wrong when all you've been shown is wrong, but uh, been tricked to think that this is right and yeah, that, that this is his okay. his life.
1: His whole life. So at this point, I'm like, well, that's awful. And he could have mental illness and that could have played a factor. But I still wasn't thinking, oh, well, maybe he didn't do it. I still was like, well, he, who else would have done it? They found his fingerprints. Well, let me tell you, 12 years later, after the execution – Authorities tested DNA recovered from Sister Tadea. This wasn't the semen that was thrown away, but something else that wasn't specified. So they did have some DNA from the scene. They couldn't test it then, so they tested it later. And it matched someone else that I've already talked about. Leoncio. So the DNA on her body, was not it? the yes. fingerprints, but on of her, didn't belong to Johnny. Did not belong to him at all. What are the odds that he did break in and didn't rape and murder her and that someone else did? But how did, his, the truth. How did his DNA get on her body? It wasn't Johnny's on her body. His fingerprints were on her stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Leontio, if you don't remember, is the man that raped and murdered 77-year-old Narnie Bryson. In the meantime, he had already admitted to raping and murdering a nun in his past. There was also additional evidence at the scene that linked him to Sister Tadea's homicide. It didn't specify, but there's multiple things to prove this man was also in her room. The man who had raped and murdered another elderly woman. I mean, the odds are so wild in this case. So there's an article written by Mark Hoover that states if this murder had occurred today instead of 1981, Johnny may still be alive because a DNA test would have cleared him. He said that although most of us find it difficult to acknowledge that the law doesn't execute innocent people, it has happened. Consider the exonerated men who once sat on death row waiting for execution. So Leontio Perez Rueda, the man that Many believe is the real murderer remains in prison. What do you mean, many believe? Yeah, it, it's proven the DNA, right? Yeah, like DNA doesn't lie. I guess because technically they didn't go back and change the case. You know the results. So, well, they can't because they exactly put Johnny yeah. you know, to death. Yeah, so he's still serving forty five years for Narnie Bryson's murder. But so I wonder, that's it. I wonder why they didn't
0: go back and charge formally charge him with it. That doesn't make any sense because they do that. They'll go back Mm -hmm. and charge you when you hear these types of stories, it's like, Man, what happened? Why why do people like this guy Mm -hmm. his whole life has been horrible. Horrible, despicable, Mm -hmm. awful things have happened to him since he was a child. Yeah. And then to get wrongfully Convicted of murder and executed for something he didn't do. Mm-hmm. And then you have other people who have the best life ever. I know. And turn out to be the worst humans ever. Murder people, rape people, do all these things. And it's like, it's not just not fair. Yeah. It's just it's not, not fair. fair.
1: Like, he never had a chance from the time he was born. No. The only thing I can think of is at least in those years in prison, his stepfather wasn't raping him and selling him and all, but still. Mm -mm. So Texas attorney Jesse Quackenbush was so fascinated by the case that he made a documentary called The Last Word about Johnny Frank Garrett's case. He argued that the case was the result of overzealous prosecutors saying, The old and newly discovered evidence of Johnny Frank Garrett's innocence is so compelling, it will cause even the most bloodthirsty proponents of the death penalty to shake their heads in doubt. It's also alleged that Johnny placed a curse on all of those that wronged him just before his death. And this is what the horror movie is what I read mostly Mm -hmm. based on. It is. So strangely a number of people who were involved with Johnny's convictions began to die or suffer terrible misfortunes within the years following the trial. Are you ready for this long list? It's a long freaking list. Yeah, I found this on the Paranormal Catalog. So one of the jurors named Novella Sumner died a few days after the trial, after she fell downstairs. Another juror, Nathan Shackelford's daughter, was accidentally shot and killed. His sister was later killed by a drunk driver. The attorney who represented Johnny at trial died from pancreatic cancer. Medical examiner Ralph Ederman was convicted for falsifying autopsy reports. He lost his medical license and was sent to prison. And his wife died of pancreatic cancer. Two people dying of pancreatic cancer. Two more of Johnny's lawyers later died from the same form of leukemia. Two officers involved in the case also developed leukemia and died. NBC reporter Kathy Jones, who reported on the story, died in an airplane crash in Oklahoma. Witness Eugene Patterson was found dead in his car, cause of death undetermined. A prisoner named Watley, who testified against Johnny for a reduced sentence, died by suicide shortly after the trial. Johnny's schoolteacher, Carol Moore, who testified against him, also killed herself not long after. Danny Hill, the district attorney involved in the case, also died by suicide, and so did his daughter a few years later. Another one of Johnny's attorneys, Jeff Blackburn, lost his wife to suicide. His son became permanently brain damaged when he was accidentally locked inside of a hot car. Sure, maybe that's all coincidence, but... That's a lot. That is a lot of like I have death involving and a lot of suicide. And it's not like this is oh. a giant town No, it's a Texas. lot of deaths. Like, all your attorneys die from... Mm.
0: You know me, I believe he cursed them.
1: So, the horror movie based on this is called Johnny Frank Garrett's Last Word. It's fiction based on the original documentary. It basically gets into the... Uh, the curse stuff, but it's really good. Does it cover all those deaths? Mm-hmm. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's very bizarre. It is. And some could argue that the suicide is because these people felt guilty after the fact, and they're like, But it happened Maybe he didn't do it.
0: before yeah. they knew that he didn't do it. You that's know what I mean? That's true. That's true. Like, what, like, really soon after. Yeah,
1: but who? a wow. lot of death. That's a lot. That's like more than the. Not The Exorcist.
0: Poltergeist. Caroline, probably, yeah, The Poltergeist.
1: Mm-hmm. Wild. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I need a break after that. All right. Tell me something different. <laughs> I mean, it's not any better. It's a different bad, I'm sure. It's a different bad.
0: Ten-year-old Robin Doan lived in Pampa, Texas, on a farm with her mother, Michelle, stepdad, Brian, and her older brother, Zach. So they're the picture-perfect family. The whole town loves this family. It's September 29th, 2005, and the family is excited because Michelle is five months pregnant. So this is their first baby together. She had Robin and Zach from previous marriage. So on the morning of September the 30th, 911 receives a call from a very upset Robin. She tells the 911 operator, there's been a shootout in her house and she doesn't know who's alive. She says, I think I may be the only one. The 911 operator asks her her address and she gives a very clear answer 7142 Highway 70. I'm about 13.3 miles out from the bowling alley. I have on a purple shirt and purple pants. Please, can you send somebody out here? I'm so scared. Patrol units are dispatched, and they're hauling ass to get to this little girl. They have no idea what they're going to find once they get there. And this house is literally in the middle of nowhere, Texas. So the 911 operator keeps Robin talking on the phone. She's trying to keep her calm and asks her questions. And she just keeps repeating, I just want my mom. She's crying. I mean, these 911 calls are... Always very hard to listen to, but when it's a
1: child, I don't think I've ever listened to one with a child. But I can't imagine. Well, I've, I'm going to play it for you once we stop okay. recording, um, and you
0: can listen. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, you can listen to it, it on YouTube or Google it. But I will warn you: it is a very triggering. It Ugh, is very sad. I believe it. Jeez. So the number one operator asks what her parents' names are. If there are any strange people or cars around, she says, no, ma'am. And this sweet little 10-year-old voice. Then she breaks out and sobs again, saying, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. She says, all I want is my blanket and pillow. I'm so scared and cold. And I want my mama. Ugh. Girl. I had tears running down my face listening to this. Man. So finally... She tells the 911 operator she hears sirens, and two police officers pull up. The dashboard camera captures them pulling up to the farm, and you can see little Robin climb out of the back of her stepdad's truck. She had grabbed the cordless phone, ran out of her house, climbed in the back of his truck, and laid down. She runs straight to the police officer and starts hugging him and crying. So he has to join the other police officers who have went in the house. So he puts her in the back of his squad car. The door to the house has been kicked in, but everything appears in perfect condition. Nothing's been stolen. Nothing's out of place or knocked over. So they make their way through the house to the master bedroom. And there they find Brian, shot three times. Michelle, shot six times. They head down the hall to the kids' room, and they find her brother, Zach, who was shot three times, and their dog, Molly, who was shot twice. So, everyone's dead. In Robin's bedroom, there are two shell casings. Both shots missed Robin. Wow. So, he shot at her, but one hit the nightstand beside her bed, and the other one grazed her arm. It was an AK-47 rifle. Oh,
1: my gosh.
0: Robin's the only survivor in her family. Police officer goes back to the car and asks Robin, you know, like, what can I do? Is there anything that I can do? And she says, can we please go feed my animals? So, all this dashboard camera, you can watch all this, like I said, on YouTube or oh my Google it. And it shows, like. Him and this little 10-year-old girl, she's going out and feeding her cows, feeding her horses, all the things. So he he's helping her, and then they head to the Child Advocacy Center. Mm. So, again, you can watch this on YouTube, and it is remarkable how clear and articulate this little girl is to this therapist. She just lost everyone in her family, and she sounds like a little adult. So, the therapist is asking her questions, and she tells her, I think I saw white, like, around the eyes. Like, he had, like, a mask on, Mm -hmm. maybe. She asked if she heard gunshots, and Robin says, yes, 15. And she never changes from that number. Wow. And police found 15 shell casings in the house. Wow. They found shoe prints and tire tracks. But that's all the evidence they had. There were no fingerprints and no DNA. Robin said she saw a flash when he shot, and she pretended like she was dead for two hours.
1: Uh, I was thinking, I'm like, surely he thought he had killed her, Mm -hmm. or he would. I mean, he killed everyone. Yeah, so he wouldn't have left someone alive. Right. So he he, uh, right. So the I
0: know the Conrad family had no enemies. They were loved, like I said, by the whole town. Just good people. So the police had no clue what the motive was. Who would have done this? They just murdered this entire family and
1: their dog. And if you're wearing a mask, why shoot shoot children? They don't well, and they don't know who you and are. And I don't know
0: for sure that he was wearing a mask. She couldn't see. She right. just says like I could see kind of white around his eyes, but it was dark because it was the middle of the night.
1: He didn't even have to go in a room. No, no.
0: So earlier that day on the 29th, in Pineville, Missouri. Two people were shot when they got home from grocery shopping. Like, they had grocery bags in their hands when they were found. Seventy year old Orly McCool and his 47-year-old daughter-in-law, Dawn were both shot to death, mm. like, execution style. Police found out that Orly's red Dodge truck was missing, so they entered into a nationwide system for stolen vehicles. They noticed the shell casings found in the home matched a burglary report that they had taken. A man reported that his son, Levi King, had came into his house while he was gone, broke into his safe, and stolen several guns. So they were like, these shell casings match this report from where, Mm -hmm. this is the same type of gun that was stolen. Yeah. So they knew they had kind of an idea of maybe who had done this. Mm -hmm. But he could be anywhere by now because it had been over 24 hours since this had happened. An APB goes out for Levi and he is apprehended in El Paso, Texas and retained by Border Patrol. He is questioned and admits to murdering the two people in Missouri. He's cooperating with the police officers, which he seems to be normal, but psychopaths can be deceiving. Yeah. So weeks go by. There's no headway in the Conrad family murders in Texas. And then one day, Levi asked to speak to one of the officers that he spoke to when he was detained. He told them, I killed four more people in Texas. So this was two weeks after he had been brought back to Missouri. They contact the police department in Texas. And sure enough, it kind of all comes together. Wow. So on September 29th, Levi shoots Orly and Don McCool, steals his truck, drives 14 hours into Texas, just happens to come upon the McCool farm. It's just random. uh Uh-huh. Wow. Happens to come upon their farm, kicks in the front door, and shoots the entire family. The reason for this killing spree? He was mad at his dad. What? Levi, dressed completely in black and carrying an AK-47, kicks in the door to the Conrad's home and immediately walks to the master bedroom. He shoots Brian first, then the family dog.
1: He didn't even know these nope. people. He didn't even know who he was going to shoot. Oh, my God.
0: Nope. Ugh. Next, he shoots Michelle, who was screaming. She's almost six months pregnant. Ugh. He shoots her five times. Robin's bedroom was at the end of the hallway, and she had woken up by gunfire, and her mom screams, And was peeking out her bedroom door when she saw Levi walk out of their room and head her way. Oh, my God. So, she runs back, jumps in bed, pulls the covers over her head and lays completely still. He steps inside her bedroom, aims his gun, and pulls the trigger twice. Once hitting her bedside table, which was right beside her head. And then the other bullet grazed her arm. She never moved. She never made a sound. She pretended like she was dead. He walked out of the room, then went to Zach's, who was 13, Oh my gosh. and shot him. He then goes into the kitchen, grabs some food. He's going through Ugh. all of their stuff in the house, and then he drives away. So he drives down to El Paso, where he's apprehended when he admits to having weapons in his vehicle as he's trying to cross the border. They fingerprint him and find out he is wanted for questioning in Missouri when they pull his file. And within just a few days, he confesses to the murders in Missouri. So when he makes it to Texas and shoots, so this was about 11 hours after the McCool bodies were found when he was stopped Mm -hmm. by Border Patrol. So his trial takes place on April 18th, 2008. Levi pleads guilty in Missouri Agreeing to two consecutive life sentences for the McCool murders to avoid the death penalty. A year later, the sentencing trial in Texas begins, and there the DA refuses to take death off the table. It's like, I just talked about it. He's screwed in Texas. So Robin takes the stand, Ugh. and she testifies to what she's seen and heard that night her family was murdered, and how she pretended to be dead for two hours while he went through her house looking through cabinets and going through all of their belongings. She finally said she fell asleep, but the sun woke her up. Oh my
1: gosh, this poor baby. And
0: her house is quiet. So she sneaks out of bed, quietly goes into the kitchen and grabs the cordless phone. She said she didn't look in any of the bedrooms. And then she's she's breaking down in tears as she's testifying. And she sneaks outside, climbs in the back of this truck and lays down. I can't even. (sighs) uh. So, on October 6, 2009, after seven hours of deliberating, the jury sentenced Levi to life without the possibility parole for the murders of Michelle, Brian, and Zach. He was extradited back to Missouri to serve his sentence. So, after King was sentenced to life without parole, not death, because one of the jurors didn't agree with it and has to be unanimous. Mm-hmm. Robin took the stand to make a victim's impact statement. Oh my goodness. She looked at King and told him, I forgive you. Ugh. And I hope when the day comes for you to meet God, you will ask him for forgiveness too.
1: And this psychopath is probably didn't he wouldn't, even care. He wouldn't even
0: look at her. Ugh. He wouldn't even look at her. So who is this random stranger who murdered these four adults? A child and a dog? Nobody to any of them.
1: He that was, infuriates yeah. me. It's like, just why didn't you go straight to El Paso? Why, right. did, you have why to did you have to stop and kill this, kill this, kill this family? family? You didn't take anything. It's not like you needed
0: gas <sighs> or another vehicle or money. You didn't take anything. Oh my gosh. So, Levi was born in 1982 in Missouri. He was one of seven kids raised by their father in a rundown house outside of town. Rundown, as in there is no water or electricity or sewage. And the king home was decorated with ceremonial knives and stocked with guns and ammo. Their dad was a loose cannon. He was very abusive and had a hot temper. He would make Levi shoot his pets.
1: Oh, my God. Mm -mm.
0: So Levi started showing signs that something was off at a very young age. When he was four, he set his sister's curtains on fire because they were arguing. He started drinking at 11 doing drugs at 13. He had been arrested for burglary and some other petty crimes and was staying at a halfway house before he basically ran away from there. Oh, my God. And broke into his dad's and stole those guns before his murder spree. I mean, it's just like your case. I hate it all. That you just covered. It's like, are you a product of your raising? <sighs> I mean, he's one of seven and his other siblings all turned out fine. You know, I... I definitely think your upbringing plays a part in how you turn out.
1: Yeah. I mean, you don't always turn out to be in the same cycle. Right. But a lot of people can end up that way. Oh, my God. It's just, it's really sad.
0: So, Robin remains close with the law enforcement family that came out there and, and rescued her, especially Chad Brooks, who was the first responder the day of the murders. And she still lives in Texas. Woof! I made Lacey listen oh, to the
1: nine one one call. We're not putting it in this audio. It's too it's rough. Too sad. You can look it up. It's, it's it's sad. Oh
0: my gosh! Very sad. Monster. Mm. Yes, just for no reason. You're just driving along, and you see a house with all the lights out. So you like and it's, pull over and let uh, me grab this gun and go inside and just murder whoever's around. Uh, That's shit right there is terrifying that to is, me. I hate. Ugh. Because if somebody kicks your front door, well, first of all, I probably wouldn't hear it because my fans blowing at mock speed in my bedroom, but what do you do? You can't, you can't do anything. It happens so fast. You're a sitting duck. Oh, like you can't goodness. fight against someone with an no. AK-47. You just can't.
1: I and mean, that amount of rage, I imagine he must have, that's a whole different level of terrible. I watched 92,000 YouTube videos Ugh. about this
0: case. There's a 48 hours. Podcast. I mean, I've watched and listened to so many things. I couldn't even tell you. It's everywhere if you want to look it up.
1: I'm glad she survived, but man, the trauma. Oh my gosh, I couldn't even. mm -mm. You have more? To the story? No.
0: Okay. I just have a lot of other shit Thank to talk God. About. I'm like,
1: is it going to get even worse? <laughs> no. Like, getting sweatier. No.
0: Okay. I have to ask you this, though. Have you heard about this cult that's allegedly involved with the Delphi murders?
1: No. And, that's weird. And, no. And I'm on a specific group for that case. That's why I say it alleged. Okay. So, supposedly...
0: The claims are that Abby and Libby were killed in a ritualistic cult sacrifice. Okay, the nineties cult. Mm-hmm. So the papers have since been marked confidential, so you can't open really? and read it. It's called the Odin cult. O D I N.
1: I have not heard of I was this at ask all. You. No. So
0: the Odinisms, Odinistic people, have, whatever. They're supposedly a uh, pagan Norse religion. So symbols were left behind at the crime scene, including blood used to paint an apparent ruin that kind of looks like an F on a tree, which is their calling card, so to speak. So sticks and branches were deliberately placed on each girl and arranged to look like certain runes. The one end of a branch was cut off by a type of tool like an electric saw. So it appears to be that this was planned, like not specifically for these girls, but they were going to do it to somebody. And some things I've read said that this Richard Allen guy is kind of a scapegoat, kind of like the West Memphis Three, that the Hmm. Prosecution really didn't look into other cult ties. Defense said local cult members weren't investigated proper properly, like the dad of a boy that Abby had dated, who's a part of this cult. That there's a whole lot on this Odin cult, if you want to dive what off into in it. The world? I mean, you can look into it. Oh, I am. I, don't know. I already it's, have it pulled up. Yeah. It's very crazy. Uh, there's... There's a lot more out there, but there's also a gag order on some of the stuff that's been placed. So, like, I didn't know that they had all this. These sticks and branches were placed on the girls. I in ne- a range. I've never heard of I that. I didn't hear about the blood stuff, but I read it on like two or three different wow. news thing, and it wasn't like, you know, bullshit sources. Yeah. It was like legit. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on.
1: I will for sure look more into that. I. Oh, my goodness. Something
0: else I read kind of alleged or alluded to the fact that this cult may also be loosely involved with the Idaho murder stuff.
1: Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Hmm.
0: I don't know that for a fact. I'm just speculating, just like all of you guys are. So, I don't know. You may dive into it. It may be a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. But somebody sent me a link about it. And so, I looked into it. And there was a ton of stuff on it. And a ton of stuff on this cult. But I know people are a little blame cults and think that everything is – I don't know. Look into it. Report back to us. Oh, my goodness. You you have an unbiased opinion. I – will jump on a cult
1: (laughs) in an instant. it looks like I'm reading a lot about these people being uh, white supremacists overhauling Odinism. I I don't know.
0: Well, they claim to be Odinisms or Odistic people, but they're really not. But they're claiming to be. I don't know. Like I said, you will have to, when you can't sleep tonight because you have to pee every five seconds, <laughs> Look on your phone and dive all into this. Oh my goodness, it's a lot. I don't know. Yeah, I it could be reaching, but you know we've seen crazier shit happen. Everything's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, you well, know what else is yeah. crazy? These fucking Britney Spears videos. <sighs> I'm so. I'm like, did we jump too soon? Can we take it back and not free Britney anymore? <sighs> I mean, don't come for me. She needs help. I'm not talking about financial, but you're literally in and panties smeared all twisting, spinning, high kicks, dancing, and now you're doing it with knives. So didn't she post
1: something like the knives weren't real or something I don't know. I don't know. But still, why would you dance like I don't know. I'm like something's I don't know. just today I saw such a funny TikTok where it's this guy dressed up, you know, as like a woman wearing a robe drinking her morning coffee, saying, Waking up to Instagram, and then it, it flashes to him as Britney Spears doing her dances, like, exactly how it was. And then it flashes back to the woman watching, like, nodding her head, like, yep, yep. Because it's so normal to it see is, that every day. Yeah. But It is, but it's not normal. I mean, she's not hurting anybody, I guess, you know?
0: Lacey's always the devil's advocate, and I'm like, this woman. Well,
1: she's a product of her terrible childhood. Childhood. Like every other case we've sucks. covered tonight. yeah. Yeah, from the get go, she needed a non-family member to like an attorney. Be. Absolutely, she did not need her family involved. Mm-hmm. I don't want my family involved in shit, and I'm an they adult. They screwed up everything, uh, and they messed her up. And I hope she's she's okay. I don't know.
0: I think somebody needs to intervene. I feel like we freed her too soon. There, I said it.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it shouldn't have been her dad. being No, her. I'm not saying that. I mean, she I should go back you. to her dad. Yeah, she needs a someone. I don't know, who's an, not just a third, yeah. an outsider, someone who yeah. has no skin in the who's game. Right, they'll get paid, but you right. know what I mean. No, I know. Ugh, yeah, it's it's sad, honestly. She's it is sad. It's like everyone in her life has taken advantage of her. Mm-hmm. I also finished watching the.
0: Second season of the Murdoch murders. Is it good? What's your rating? I mean, it's more of the same. haven't seen it yet. It's more of the same. Definitely. It's all about like the trial and all the stuff with him, the Alec, dirtbag dad. It's very disturbing. Mm. But here I am all over it, obsessed, trying to binge it and watch it Mm. all. And anything that comes out, I read all about it. I guess it just kind of makes me feel like my life's normal.
1: I mean, for real. It's not, but it's Spe- not speaking that has crazy. terrible families, yeah, they're a mess. hmm So our new patron, Terrence, from last week. Uh-huh. We found out he's from South Carolina. Oh. Which is exciting. I haven't put his pen in yet because I just found out he was from South Carolina. Okay. But he gave a case suggestion. He said that the, the 2022 disappearance of Alexis Ware would be a good case to cover. That doesn't ring a bell off the top of my head, but we'll have to look into it. And Brandy B sent us a message regarding a Texas case that we may have to look into next time. She wrote, Tynesha Stewart was 19 and murdered by her boyfriend. He did horrid things after the fact. I went to school with her sister, and I'm not sure why I haven't told you about this case sooner. Her sister Gayla speaks out on domestic violence in her name. She just did a filming for Ty's documentary on Murder in the Heartland, and it'll air in November, December. I like the show Murder in I the Heartland. Too. It's sad. What but was her name? Tanisha. Tanisha Stewart. Stewart. I'm writing these down. So yeah. Thanks for the suggestions. Yeah. We can always use more of those. And by now, our newest Patreon episode is out, and it's all about reincarnation, past lives. We even get into religion. (laughs) We both agree that Hinduism has some intriguing factors. It was a fun topic to cover. If you want to join, head to patreon.com slash unitedstatesofmurder. There's a whole backlog of monthly bonus episodes you can listen to and other fun stuff. But that's a palate cleanser because it's all just about... I mean, if you like reincarnation, I guess. It's very,
0: I like it. It was it a was good, so it was a good interesting. Even editing, episode. I'm like, ooh, tell me more. I I've look, already heard all of this. It's a really good episode. I love it. I do too. I thought it was a good one. <sighs> Anything else new? Nope, nothing. Big weekend plans. <sighs> no, not melt. We're sick of this heat. <laughs> I walked into Lacey's today after work, and I was like, I'm it's, sick of the heat. Yeah, it was 94 degrees. My shirt's too tight. It's making me feel weird. Traffic That's was a I nightmare.
1: We're like, don't get fall. It sucks. God. I'm like, how is it all- Pumpkins t- are for sale. Listen. We're like, "Ooh, they're going to melt on my front porch. It's October, and it's 90 fucking I'm seven degrees. i drenched in sweat. It's, it's, I,
0: I have too many cute fall clothes for this. To I can't put on my Instagram
1: boots. friends up north, I'm so envious. Can't put boots on. Can't. It's like we pants. have to travel or go on vacation to mm-hmm. get fall anymore, or I don't know snow. Who knows? It's like still pool days. It is. It's this is summer. This it is like, literally feels like the middle of summer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Ugh. Well, I'm taking Max to Magic Screams this weekend. <gasps> That's fun. It starts this weekend. October is so fun, even though it's a thousand yeah. degrees. Oh my gosh! But I have so many spooky things on my calendar for this month. I literally cannot wait. I need to decorate still, so. I'm done except for, I've got a bunch of fake pumpkins that you plug mm-hmm. in and they light up
1: on my porch. I need to get some. I just haven't felt like doing any of that because it's so hot. I know. I haven't bought any real ones yet. I'm going to wait because they're just going to gonna rot on my front porch. It's too hot. Huh. So we're in Min- Minnesota, Minnesota next week. It's so cool there right now. I I'm bet. like, man, that f- probably feels amazing. I have to ask you
0: before um, we sign off here. Did you watch the Chiefs
1: game with Taylor
0: Swift?
1: So te- on there, okay, seeing
0: her boyfriend this weekend. So
1: okay, it's funny because Samuel was watching TV. He was in the pool. He brought the TV outside because now we have electricity. Anyway. He had it up on the screen and so I was technically kinda there and the announcer was living his best life with the puns. I was here for his all of his little quips with the Taylor Swift songs. And I'm living for all the TikToks that are teasing their husbands or male partners like Taylor Swift put him on the map and they get so mad. They're like Okay, well I'm I'm Travis Kelsey's the best (laughs) He's he's a
0: great football player. Can y'all just Get keep Taylor away from football. You guys have Taylor. No. I am not a Swiftie. I don't. They, she's good luck. They won. She is has terrible luck. If I was his mom, I'd be
1: like, stay away from this girl. Well, his she last is drama. girlfriend. This is true. The last girlfriend is way worse. Well, she told announced to Taylor something about watch out. Once a cheater, always oh, a cheater. She's saying he's a cheater. Well. That doesn't surprise me. Either, I don't know anything about her. I don't. I had never heard of this man before this. I'm going to be honest. I don't care about sports. I don't watch sports until now. Go Chiefs. See, and that's how I feel <laughs> about Taylor Swift. And I'm like, no, get her off the screen. Get her away. Get. I, I was living for it. I'm like, oh, Leave this is how alone. you get me into football. Duh. He's not her type at all because he's actually not like gross. <laughs> and douchey <laughs> but the maddie healy guy i'm like he just crawled out of a dumpster somewhere uh, no and then i don't know i've i've never thought her taste in men was good ever i mean mm-hmm. i don't know this kelsey person either but he just doesn't look like her type I, which is probably good i just unless he's cheating I don't know. don't know. I'll have to look into that. I don't know.
0: Just, I'm just like stop, I don't like cheat cheater. Stop. Stay away from. He football. invited
1: her, though. Well, of course he did. She's Taylor Swift. Well, he, he he's was, got a crush. He's been pursuing her for a while, and I'm like, I think
0: that's cute, though, because I know women like to act like hard asses, myself included. But and we're very independent. But there's something to be said about a grown ass man that still pursues a woman and wants oh, to date pursuing. her.
1: He's been trying to give her
0: friendship bracelets. Listen, away. you know he was on Watch What Happens Live with Andy no, Cohen. I didn't. It was a while back, a while back. And Ramona was on there with him. What in the world? So this was a, a while back. So he before Taylor <laughs> BT. Oh, <my laughs> so God. he she's asking him like what's a deal breaker? So she's like you know asking some dirty things like oral sex. Oh
1: yeah. Is I've it heard. a deal
0: breaker or whatever. And he said she asked him if third date she doesn't sleep with you is that a deal breaker and he's like, mm, kind of felt
1: like it is." I mean, <gasps> after three dates? I guess we're going to know. We don't know that the, that they're dating. They have not been seen kissing. So, they have not been spotted. Well, they've been spotted canoodling, canoodling hand holding. But we'll see. I'm just I don't saying. Know.
0: Taylor kind of seems like she's fast. I'm saying it. Like, she's like, don't Don't talk about my best friend. (laughs) Fast
1: from Maddie Healy? I mean, they were like. No, no, no. I mean, like,
0: she seems like, like, she's a fast girl. Like, she may put out before the third date.
1: I don't. The world will never know. I don't know.
0: Who knows? Until he breaks her heart and she writes a song and tells us all about it. One of our
1: friends looked at me, was serious, and said, do you think Taylor Swift's a virgin? And I'm like, have you not listened to... Oh, my God. Who do you think Lacey's still a virgin? <laughs> I was like, are do you joking? you think joking? this is holy baby? He was like, I just can't imagine that. I'm like, okay. We got we to gotta we gotta talk. We got to change the subject. I'm like, have you not heard this song? This oh. song? Okay. <sighs> anyway, Anyways, I don't know. Minnesota. Minnesota. <laughs> Love you, Taylor. <laughs> hey, oh, God.